me invite you to open uh, the scriptures with me again today uh, to Mark's gospel, to Mark chapter 12. We've been journeying to the cross uh, through the lens of Mark's gospel. And now we're in the final week of Jesus' life before uh, the cross, his earthly life. And he is embodying and unfolding the perfect will of God in his perfect timing. So as you find your place there in Mark chapter 12, let me I invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, the Scriptures read this way. It says, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Verse 9, But what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Let's bow in prayer. And Lord, we do thank you this morning for your word for the opportunity to open it, to read it, to hear it, to proclaim it. Father, we thank you for the presence and the power of your Spirit gathered with your people. Father, we pray that you would lead us in all things. Guide me now that I might speak the truths of your word. Lead all of us now to respond to the truths of your word in a way that glorifies the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. So here in these uh, final days of Jesus' life before the cross, uh, tension is building. Tension is coming to a head between Jesus uh, and the religious leaders of his day. They're looking for a way to to trap him. In fact, this particular story is set within a larger pericope that uh, details Jesus confronting uh, the religious leaders of his day. He has just challenged the authority of the high priest by driving out the money changers from the temple. And now he continues to tell a story, a parable, a hypothetical story to illustrate spiritual truth. And as he tells this story, he tells a story of a vineyard that was planted by a landlord. The landlord, the owner of the land, plants the vineyard. And then in the process of planting it, he also digs a pit in the in the vineyard in order to harvest the fruit. Uh, He builds a wall around it to preserve it, to protect it. He builds a watchtower to uh, watch over it. 
uh, and make sure that enemies don't come in and take his harvest. And then he sends some servants uh, to collect rent from the tenants, the farmers who are renting the land from him. This sort of reminds me as I read the story of uh, Meemaw's farm back in eastern Arkansas. Not my Meemaw, but Ashley's grandmother who still lives on a farm, she's 94 years old, so has a farm and rents out that fertile farmland every year uh, to some farmers and then she collects a portion of what they harvest. So here in this story, uh, Jesus speaks of a vineyard and this vineyard is Israel. Is the people of, of God in his day. In fact, in the Old Testament, that image, that metaphor is used to describe Israel numerous times. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, the Lord speaks through uh, Isaiah and he says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. So this was not an unfamiliar image. And through this story, uh, the vineyard representing uh, Israel uh, is the possession and the creation uh, of the landlord. The landlord is the Lord. He is God. And he has taken the necessary provisions and steps to provide for his people. He is a God who provides for his people. He has given them everything they need to flourish in this environment. God is a God who provides for his people. Provides for his people. He has set the table, so to speak, for them to be a people who who flourish, who who produce fruit, who know and enjoy Him. He creates and He gives basic provisions day by day, food, water, shelter. He gives guidance through His Word and particularly the messengers of His Word. Sets up a people with leaders who are to lead the people to know and to worship Him. Gives them the law and the sacrificial system of worship meant to teach them His holiness and His justice. Providing everything that they need. Likewise, church, God God has been good to us. God has been good to me. God's been good to us, has He not? Have you ever reflected back on your life and um, said something like, how did I end up here? How did I end up where I am in this marriage, in this position, in this job? Whatever it might be, the Lord has been good to us. To be honest with you, many days I don't deserve to be daddy to my kids. Many days I don't deserve to be uh, husband to my beautiful wife. Many days I don't deserve to be your pastor. No days do I deserve to be a child of God. God has been good to me. How has God been good to you? Has God provided for your needs? He is a God who provides for the needs of His people. In essence, Jesus is saying through this story that God has provided for the descendants of Abraham just as He promised. He's provided what they need to know and to enjoy Him, to flourish, to be a light to the nations of the world. But even so, verse 3, when He sends His servants to collect rent, They seized the first servant, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 4, then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat. Others they killed. Servants in this scenario represent the messengers of God. 
at representatives of God bearing the word of the Lord, bringing the word of the Lord to the people. But the religious leaders, known as the tenants or the farmers in this parable, steeped in in human pride that resulted in greed and self-centeredness and apathy or hardened to the message of the Lord. Though God provides for His people, the proud reject His Word. The proud reject God's Word. That's what we see Jesus describing here through this parable. That the proud have rejected the Word of the Lord, perhaps not externally, perhaps externally they have engaged in religious practice. Perhaps externally they have obeyed Him, but internally they are devoid of Repentance and faith that he desires and requires. This message is very similar to what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law back in Mark chapter 7, verse uh, 6 and 7, when uh, he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The servants in the parable of the tenant, more specifically, I think, represent the prophets. Prophets, those who have been given a word of the Lord and called upon to speak that word to God's people in that day. The prophets had a difficult task. Coming before the people of Israel and the rulers of the nation time and time again and challenging them from the Scriptures, from the word of the Lord, to repent, to be corrected, to stand corrected, to turn away from false practices and pagan practices and Outward religion devoid of inward devotion and to turn again to God. In fact, let's look at an example of this from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. Jeremiah chapter 19, verse uh, 14 and following. We read about uh, Jeremiah's role as a prophet. And there we read these words in the scriptures. Jeremiah then returned from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And stood in the court of the, of the Lord's temple and said to all the people, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring on this city and all the villages around it every disaster I pronounced against them because they were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. That's a tough message. Jeremiah sent to proclaim a message from the Lord to the people of God, calling them to repent saying that the Lord is going to carry out judgment on this city and the surrounding region because they have failed to turn to Him. They've been stubborn. They've been stiff-necked. They've been proud. And listen to what happens as a result of Jeremiah's proclamation. Chapter 20, verse 1. When the priest, Pasher, son of Emer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, when he heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, He had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Of course, he didn't like the message that Jeremiah was announcing, so he was going to take care of Jeremiah. Tough message that the prophets often were called upon to speak to God's people. In essence, through this parable in Mark chapter 12, I think Jesus is calling upon the religious leaders of his day to account for such actions. The proud would ignore the word of the Lord. The proud ignore the prophets. Ignore the prophets. The prophets called upon to speak 
tough message. A message of obedience and repentance. A message of, of turning to the Lord or judgment would come. And as if it is not enough to reject the Lord's messengers, those who are proclaiming the word of the Lord in this particular scenario, people called by God go even further and they reject the landlord's son. Verse 6, we read, He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenant said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Tough job to proclaim the words of the Lord in that day. And certainly in this case, the pride was so deep that the people failed to recognize the very heir of the estate. Presuming when the heir comes in this hypothetical story, this scenario, that the landlord may be gone, maybe he's died, and we can get rid of the son and take over the estate. And to reject the landlord's son in this case is the ultimate offense because of who the son is. This son is the son of God. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all and Savior of the world, He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The author of the letter to Hebrews said it this way. He opened that letter, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, saying, In the past, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, ancestors uh, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. When it comes to the mysterious God who is three in one, the God of the Scriptures, the one and only God, our Maker, our Redeemer, when it comes to this God, to reject the Son of God is to reject God. For the Son of God is God. He is God in the flesh. To refuse Him is to refuse God. And even so, in this story, the proud not only ignore the prophets, but they also refuse the Son. They refuse the Son. Disciple John states it this way in his version of the Christmas story. John chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, the true light... That is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is the playing out of the central message of our faith, the coming of the Son of God taking on human flesh, God, the fullness of God in human flesh, ultimately, so that He might live a perfect life, the only perfect life, the only sinless life on earth, and therefore give His life as the perfect sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world. The fullness of God's plan of redemption has come, is unfolding in Jesus, and the very ones who've been entrusted with the words of the Lord are missing the message. And even so, this message of grace, of salvation by grace, is applied to our lives through faith in the Son. 
Forgiveness is available to all, but only applied to those who repent and, and believe. Those without faith remain unforgiven. The proud reject God's word. So according to the scriptures, God will judge the proud and he'll call a new people. God will judge the proud and, and call a new people. Let's look back at Jesus' words, Mark chapter 12, verse 9. It says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. See, God had called a people. He called Abraham and the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He called a people to be uh, a people who would know him and serve him and live for him ultimately, even from the beginning, for the sake of bearing witness to the gospel of grace to the nations of the world. The thrust of the scriptures and the thrust of salvation is always toward the nations coming to know and follow the one and only God. Called to bear witness to their maker. Friends, do you know your maker? Do you know your maker? Many have rejected him. For this reason, the scriptures are clear that God has called a new people, that he calls a new people from every nation, tribe, people, and language characterized by Jews and Gentiles coming together under the lordship of Christ to know and to serve him, to live for him forever. Like Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians chapter 2. Beautiful picture of unity in the body of Christ under the headship of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 Bible says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, in other words, Gentiles, the ones who had not been given the covenant initially, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Skipping down to verse 19, consequently, Paul writes, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Or it's built on the foundation of the word of God with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, the whole structure, the whole body of Christ is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, the scriptures are clear. Mark chapter 12 is clear. Psalm 118 is clear. Ephesians chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 are clear that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. That he is the most important piece in our salvation. That he is the central character of the scriptures and he is the one who saves us from our sins. The cornerstone is just what It implies it is the first and most important stone in a stone structure. It sets the tone that ensures that the building is is strong and secure. It ensures that the building, the walls are square. Without the cornerstone, the building risks falling. In fact, in this type of structure, a stone structure, if you remove the cornerstone, the structure will eventually collapse. Let me try to illustrate this. 
uh, on a smaller scale with a story uh, in my own life from recent days. Uh, latest project in the Jones household is, uh, or was, it's completed as of yesterday, thank the Lord, uh, a hanging beadboard on the wall in my daughter uh, Kinsley's room. This was uh, my lovely wife's grand idea and my joyful labor. And I said that in the first service, and um, so if I'm in trouble, I'm already in trouble. Uh, but the project uh, then begun to, to get underway, uh, well underway. So uh, with one or two initial setbacks, uh, things began moving again. Beadboard was hung on the first small section of the wall, completed onto uh, the next section. The first panel is up. Uh, nails popped in, good, golden, moving onward. Second panel, take it and put it up next to the first. And uh, after a few choice words for uh, the professional builder uh, whose wall is now very out of square, panel two is up and going. On to panel three. Panel three is cut, ready to hang. Bring it over to hang it on the wall and suddenly realize that there's a problem. That the gap now between panel two and panel three on one side and the gap between the panel and the baseboard is growing steadily larger. After several minutes of scrutiny and trying to determine what are are we going to do, where's the problem lie, began to see that uh, this unprofessional beadboard hanger had made a real mistake. You see, over in the corner of the wall... The top of the first panel was not flush against the wall. Mr. Dapp, a silicone product, can take care of that corner crack without too much problem. But the one over here, 12 feet later, that is steadily growing, and not so much. The cornerstone matters. The corner piece matters. The cornerstone of our salvation matters. We cannot misunderstand Him. We cannot miss Him. To miss Him, to reject Him, is to totally misunderstand the Word of God and the source of our salvation. For God creates and calls people to follow Him. God creates and calls people, calls us to follow Jesus, the chief cornerstone. You were made to follow Jesus. I was made to follow Jesus. We were made to follow Jesus. Are you following Jesus? Have you responded to the cornerstone? Are you living for Him? Are you serving Him? Two beginning points of application to mention to help us see how this text should begin to impact us. Firstly, church, I believe that we should receive the Word. Receive the Word. Receive the word of the Lord. As I read this text and reread this text in preparation for today, there was one phrase that stood out to me and really hit me upside the head. That's Jesus' words at the beginning of verse 10. Speaking to the religious leaders of his day, he says, Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? Then he quotes from Psalm 118. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you really knew the Scriptures, not just the words, but the content that they convey, then you would recognize who I am. 
that you wouldn't reject me, but you would bow before me. I want you to know I've been convicted based upon the word of God to engage reading the pages of Scripture more and more. Perhaps for some, this means beginning a Bible reading plan. Maybe for some parents, it means reading to your children the Scriptures, the Word of God. Don't you want to know your Maker? Don't you want to know the One who went to the cross for you and for me? Don't you want to know the One who desires for you to know Him and to live for Him and to live with Him for all of eternities? Let all of eternity. Let's receive the Word of God by reading and rereading and reading again the pages of God's Word. And not only reading them, for even the Pharisees and teachers of the law who had misunderstood the Messiah read them, but also obeying them. The brother of Jesus, James, author of the book of James, says, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. God creates and calls us to follow Jesus. Let's receive his word. And let's respond to the cornerstone. Let's respond to the cornerstone, the central character of our faith. The one who at this point in the story is on his way to the cross for he'll give his life away. Soon after that, three days later, he would be raised back to life, proving his power over sin and death. His resurrected body would appear to a number of people, two of which are recorded in in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Jesus appears to two on the road to Emmaus. And Luke tells us this, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets... A reference to the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament now. He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. And then, soon after, Jesus appears to His disciples. Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that, was, that is written about Me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Intentional reference that includes and accompanies all of Scripture. The law of Moses, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms standing for the wisdom literature. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. You see, the Scriptures ultimately point to the one who is the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ our Lord. The story of life and salvation in him. Let's respond to Him. Let's respond to this one today by surrendering to Him, by trusting Him, by repenting before Him, confessing sins to Him, by singing His praises. Let's respond to this King as the Lord leads. We've heard from the King today through the Word. Let's respond to Him. Father, help us to do so today. Help us to take the words of Christ. Lord, help us to take your words in the pages of the Bible and to digest them, to read them, to meditate on them, to learn them, and to apply them to our lives as followers of Jesus. 
Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to serve. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to sing your praises. Lord, remind us even now who we are in Christ. Help us to respond accordingly. Lord, lead us now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.